Welcome to Your Family Dog, a podcast dedicated to helping families love living with dogs. Hello, and welcome to Your Family Dog. We're so glad you are back here with us. And today, uh, we our, our guest uh, was... Uh, Anyway, we had difficulties. So Tina and I were left with with the eternal question of, well, what do we talk about since our guests can't make it? So Tina said, let's talk about the respiratory illness that is come about this year and that's causing problems among the canine community. And I said, great, because I know absolutely nothing about it. And she said, no one does. So this might be a very short podcast. But anyway, be that as it may, we do want to bring your attention to issues that may or may not affect your dog, but have a good chance of, of being in your community. And so you are at least aware of it and can do something if you think your dog is, is having problems breathing. So Tina, with that, I would like you to describe what it is we do know about this respiratory illness. Okay. I'm happy to do that. So This uh, respiratory disease or illness seems to present like uh, kennel cough or bordetella that we all get vaccinations for our our dogs. It's it's basically like a flu. Uh, The dog has a cough, rarely sneezing, but sometimes, sometimes runny eyes, runny nose. They sometimes run a fever. They're a little bit lethargic. They kind of feel lousy. And typically... Uh, dogs will recover from that with support uh, from your veterinarian in like three weeks. That's, I would say that that's probably about average. They're feeling much more themselves at the end of, you know, say 21 days. Well, what we're seeing with this respiratory illness is the presentation is basically identical. So it starts out looking like kennel cough or bordetella, which like human flu tends to spike when the weather changes toward winter. So um, more and more dogs are breaking with bordetella, just regular plain old boring kennel cough. However, this is then morphing into uh, pneumonia. And the even during what seems like the kennel cough stage, it is not responding to antibiotics, which is not entirely abnormal. Um, I think I would have to ask a veterinarian, but I think sometimes the antibiotics are almost to prevent a secondary problem. However, in this case, even with PCR, they are not finding whatever bug is causing this. Um, There is a university who thinks they've found something that they're referring to as a tiny bacterium. So not a typical size bacteria, something really, really tiny. They have no idea if that has to do with this illness or not, but they are finding it in cultures. And we don't really have a great way to treat except supportive therapies. It appears that this disease is being um, being spread, being transmitted the same way Bordetella does. But I have a case um, on my service, uh, dogs that are waiting to come in for a positive reinforcement board and train who have not been to any of the typical things that we would expect a dog to catch kennel cough or bordetella. The dogs haven't been to boarding. They haven't been to grooming. They haven't been to a training class except with one another. And that's it. No other dogs. They haven't been to daycare. They were at a dog park for 10 minutes and it was only the two of them. So 
that's really an odd transmission because we can't, there's not an identifier of how that transmission is happening. Um, it's really right. scary. If you don't know how it's being transferred, one, there's no way to trace it back. I mean, one, yes. at least before to tell her, you can say, okay, I know that uh, Fifi went to daycare last Thursday and Monday she started coughing. We haven't seen any of the dogs. It's pretty indicative right. that she picked it up at daycare. But if you have oh. no reasonable transmission modes and no reasonable exposure to unknown dogs, that's getting kind of scary. Yeah, it's very scary because there's not really a way to know, right? All of the other dogs in, in the Athens area that I'm aware of that are on my service, and I'm sure other trainers have dogs on their service as well, they, they've none of those dogs have been in a class or anything recently. They all could link it back to some specific incident that, you know, like a they went to grooming or they went to daycare or they were boarding somewhere at a large facility or something like that. The, this case, this case I learned about yesterday uh, is the first one that we don't really know where the dogs contracted it. And additionally, they have a senior dog in their household who the, the, the two other dogs I'll refer to as puppies. They're not, um, but the two puppies, they're three. <laughs> they're not really baby puppies. They're not puppy puppies. Uh, the adult dog, the 13-year-old dog, hasn't been sick for the month that these dogs have been ill. She just started with symptoms. Now, she's responding better with the antibiotics, so it's possible she has a different bug. They're doing PCR testing on everyone, but honestly, UGA does not expect to find anything on that PCR test. So it they are consistently seeing that the bug's not showing up. What's a PCR test? That might be something that our listeners need to, to learn about. I, you probably know more about that than I do. So it's, I, uh, my understanding is it's a pathology test of a sample or a number of samples from a dog to try to determine bacterium or viruses that might be in the tissue sample so that they have a better idea how to do a targeted therapeutic response with that dog. Now, none of the dogs on my service who currently have it. So right now I'm aware of six cases uh, of dogs that are known to me, though, again, not in, not currently enrolled in classes. None of those are in ICU. None of those have pneumonia. It's more that this bug is staying with them for, I mean, one of the families has been treating for six weeks. Now, those are both brassophilic breeds, a, a bulldog and a pug, um, though both of those dogs have beautiful airways, lovely nares. They, they don't have any restriction to their breed, breathing. So, uh, but they are, it's still notable that they are smushy-faced cuties. Um, so yeah, this is really scary. So I've eliminated puppy play in puppy class because obviously we don't want, you know, I think with any disease process, we worry a little bit more about the very young and about the very old. Uh, so I'm, I'm not allowing puppy play. Our puppy class is already limited to four uh, dog handler teams in a basically 30 by 30 space. Um, 
with open air. So we have walls up to eight feet and then it's open air above that. So our airflow is really, really good. I'm disinfecting literally every day, though, honestly, we don't know what we're disinfecting for. So who knows if that's helpful. Um, and I'm, of course, saying to people, please don't bring your dog if they're coughing. Let me know immediately. However, if this is a virus, there's a very big likelihood that the dog is shedding virus before they're symptomatic. And so there's not really any, like, literally, we're all flying blind. I was just going to say, what's interesting is, is that, you know, as we learned, you know, with with COVID, um, you know, the personal distance makes makes a difference so that if your puppies are 10 to 15 feet away away from one another and they're exiting and entering the room separately the chances of sharing um breathing space is much smaller but one of the reasons why people might say well then why but you know the other thing is is we since we don't know the trans mode of transmission is it airborne which we also don't want our puppies playing together, not just for exchange of air, but exchange of saliva and right. other bodily fluids, because we don't know the mode of transmission. We want to make sure that we reduce the chances of transmission by limiting activities in which there can be an exchange, not only of air, but of bodily fluids. Yes. So and I, I, need think- to, I need to ask the family with the dogs that we don't know where they caught it. If the dog park that they went to had a community water bowl, I didn't think to ask her that. We, I never, I never have a water bowl in the training room and it makes people really angry. And I'm like, just like, we don't all want to drink out of the same cup. Like, I love you, but I don't want to drink out of your cup. Um, I don't, I don't want all of the puppies drinking out of a bowl or the dogs drinking out of a bowl. So if you want to bring a bowl for your dog and bring water, that's great. You can even, I'm, I'll help you get water, but I'm not going to do a community water bowl that is way too dangerous for my taste. Like I try to take my stewardship of families and their dogs and puppies um, quite seriously as far as a disease prevention perspective. I'm even hand sanitizing between handling individual dogs. Uh, so my my disinfecting wipe um purchase has been increasing dramatically because I'm between hand, like if I'm playing with this puppy, I go, I wipe my hands with a disinfecting wipe. I let them dry. I go deal with the next puppy. And then at the end of each class, I'm disinfecting again. Um, cause I don't want it to be that I'm transition. You know, I'm, I'm being a vector myself. Right. Right. One does not want to be part of the transportation of disease back and forth. Yes. So yeah, well, and I, I don't think- want it coming home with me to my phone. No, absolutely not. So my question, my next question is, um, honestly, haven't heard about it here in Ohio. So I don't know if it's an issue here at all. Is this something that you have any idea of the extent of it? Is this a nationwide thing? Is this a localized thing? Do you have any so it, any idea so there? It sounds like it started in either um Colorado, Oregon, or California, though Cornell claims that they've seen cases since 2022. So that that was kind of new data. Um, It then spread. Often, I think disease in dogs spreads a couple of ways across the country. So that can be um, like rescues being transported, dogs traveling, right? 
Um, so things like dog shows or even just a move, a dog moves from Ohio to Georgia and, and on the trans in the transport van where they're all in crates, everybody's breathing the same air and nobody knew their like, it's nothing nefarious. Nobody thought their dog was sick. Like nobody's being a jerk, but nonetheless, it, it can happen that way. So, um, it, it's my understanding that at this point, we basically should all in the U.S. be assuming that our dogs could get it. I know there are cases in Florida. Uh, like I said, it it appears that they're everywhere. There is a a, a Facebook group that's uh, I tagged the uh, Your Family Dog podcast page so you can find that. That is a uh, Facebook group that's tracking distribution of this disease. But I just would expect with the weather. So part of what will happen is there are not a lot of outdoor dog shows in the winter. There are a lot of indoor dog shows and they're often very uh, strongly populated because there are fewer of them. So you have to find a, a place that can hold, you know, 2000 dogs for a dog show. So I would expect with that people will be, and even just travel with families, like Dogs are going to be moving around the country, going, visiting grandma in Virginia, and that we will likely see a spread of this that's that's more significant. It is really scary because I I don't want to contribute to the problem, but we don't even know what to watch for. We don't we don't know if it's like you said, if if it's saliva, if it's airborne, um, well, you know, it, it could is. also be too that I mean, it, it doesn't mean that it, there's only one way for an animal to get infected. There can be multiple ways. I mean, it could also be through excrement. It could be through urine. You know, dogs like to check pee mail, and you know, I mean, there's lots of different ways that things can get transported, and it's not necessarily limited to one way. There's probably one mode that is the primary way in which one can get infected. But it's probably, but it could well be that it's not the only. And the other thing we don't know is we don't know if it's a bacteria or a virus, and that makes right. a big difference in treatment. It also makes a big difference in um, whether or not or how quickly an animal will show symptoms. Because, it's like with, for example, you know, with with COVID, you could be you could pass COVID and be asymptomatic. Right. And we don't know if this has that form. And we also don't know if you have it for three days and then suddenly you get sick. You've been like chickenpox, you know, you were infected ahead of time. So these things are all unknowns that make it much more difficult to do any kind of containment, any kind of effective containment and or treatment. So, well, um, and, and I, I think about, OK, again, what are the two populations of animals that are going to the vet? the the sick well the three right so dogs that are sick already um puppies who are going for immunizations and senior dogs who are you know having some medical stuff and need to be seen so i'm sure for the veterinarians this is really scary too what i'm hearing is that veterinarians are suiting up if they think they have a symptomatic dog and they're actually seeing that dog in their car so outside and then they're changing their clothing and throwing it away, right? Which is crazy expensive on an already kind of beat up industry with COVID uh, in an attempt to not then track that into to their facility. So, I mean, this is just, and I don't want to be fear mongering, right? Um, the vast majority of 
dogs are surviving this. Some sadly are not. And to, for the people whose dogs are not surviving it, I am heartbroken and, and grieving right along with them. It sounds like that's a relatively low percentage. Um, but we really all are um, flying blind. And it was interesting to me that the ABMA was saying, well, get vaccinated. And I thought, okay, well, wh what are you going to get vaccinated? That doesn't make any sense. Right. Yeah. What are we vaccinating for? Like if my dog's already vaccinated, then going to, honestly, going to a veterinarian's office and boostering my dog for, for stuff they're already. Right. And we, since we don't even know what's causing it. So, right. I mean, it is a virus and yes, vaccines are effective against viruses, but they're not necessarily effective against bacterium. Well, and they're so, also not a magic shield. Right. Right. And what do we, and, and I was like this year, um, I, my dogs got their board to tell it, but we didn't do the flu shot because my vet said, no, I don't want to do flu shots. I, I, there's been some controversy over the flu shots this year. So, you know, it's just, I think your best bet is to be careful of where your dog goes, limit exposure to unknown dogs. Um, that's one of the reasons why dog parks are are very rarely on my to-do list because I don't know who's using them. And I don't know if these are unvaccinated dogs. And so, right. I mean, my dogs are all vaccinated and they're healthy and, and we generally do a good time. And we do go to places where there are other dogs, don't get me wrong. And they do play with other dogs. But I might be a little bit more cautious about that right now. Yes. And I would say that generally sunlight is pretty, well, here in Georgia, we have sunlight. I don't know if you have any sunlight in Ohio in the winter. Is it sunny out Wait, or is it overcast? It, well, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a promise that the sky has no intention of keeping. So, okay. So, so what I would say, <laughs> you're so funny is generally UV light is good at killing stuff, right? We, we see all yes. the eco lab things in every pet store, in every restaurant, right? UV is good at killing stuff. Um, arguably us, if we get enough of it. So, um, the, so I suppose where there's high airflow, like outside at a park, as long as we're, a, we're, it's just our dogs playing, right. Which, you know, made for some people defeat the purpose. There's not a community water bowl, your dog's sleeping out, you're drinking out of your dog isn't playing with a community tennis ball. That's, that's probably preferable to being indoors. Um, and again, none of us know what we're trying to avoid. And so daycares like dog trainers, like veterinarians are flying blind, trying to figure out how we manage and balance providing good service to the families and the dogs that need it and keeping everyone safe. Um, so it's been on the national news. I'm kind of surprised you hadn't seen it but you've had a lot on your plate so well, that's the other thing part is, of it. is since we we moved to the country um we don't I, I don't have cable anymore and i don't watch the news i read the wall street journal so when it hits the wall street journal i'll know all about it but um now i don't i don't i didn't watch the evening news much anyway because it usually made my blood pressure go up 
I do subscribe to some news services and I do read the Wall Street Journal and I do listen to news podcasts and stuff, but um, they have not been talking about it. Anyway, so I'm sorry. I've been in my own blissful blindness, I guess. But I haven't um, been to the chat either. And, and But you know, that which reminds me that my heartworm medication has not arrived in the mail like it was supposed to. So I need to call the vet anyway. So I'm going to ask my vet um, yeah. if they've been seeing any kind of incidents in what they think. So in a capsule summary here, um, not to be, we're trying not to be fear mongers. We're trying to be bearers of right. information and just to be aware of the fact that there is a respiratory illness that is going around that has been seen in several states. We're likely to see more incidents of it as things are, as you said, events and stuff are, are pulled inside. People are going to, you know, it's like it's cold and icky and rainy and I don't want to go outside. So I'll send my dog to daycare instead. So, you're, you know, there's a chance of an increased chance of exposure. And what you should look for is if your dog starts to cough or sneeze or seems to be lethargic, has a temperature, um, what I would do if your dog is healthy now. Well, let's hope they have a temperature, but not a fever. A fever. Thank you very much. Precise language world is always important to me. So what I would say is before your dog gets sick, Take your dog's temperature so you know what your dog's normal temperature is because it can range from anywhere from 99 to like 101, 102. So my dogs both hover right around 100.5. And know what their regular respiration rate is too, yeah. right? So right, so so right do- now, according, according to USA Today, today, um, this virus has been found in Washington, Oregon, Idaho, California, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Georgia, Florida, Pennsylvania, Maryland, New Hampshire, Vermont, Massachusetts, and Rhode Island. So, so far, Ohio safe, but we, we, we but everybody, but your neighbors, <laughs> but your neighbors are breathing on you. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I think that if you live in the middle of Kansas, and your dog plays outside, they're probably pretty safe. Um, I'm telling people here in Athens um, to, instead of leaving their dog all day for grooming, to, um, if they're going to have their dog groomed, stay and take the dog home as soon as they're done and ask their groomer what their groomer is trying to do to try to mitigate uh, transmission. Like, are they doing every other crate? Are they, you know, running, yeah, are they running fans? Like, what are they doing? And I, I hate to say this because I don't want to hurt anybody's business, but I would be hard pressed to take a dog to doggy daycare. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm kind of right there with you just until we have a little bit more of a handle on what's going on. And also too, if just like, you know, some, some dogs, like some people are more fragile their health is more fragile. And if you have a dog who has a fragility of some sort, you might want to be just a little bit more cautious about your exposure simply because it's going to be, it might be more trying on your dog to get this. Well, and I, okay. So there's also a part of me that that's going to go back to COVID. Everyone stayed home for years and so did our dogs. And so did we accidentally suppress their immune systems 
because they weren't outside as much. They, you know, lots of dogs uh, weren't outside as much. They weren't around other dogs getting, you know, contracting small versions of viruses and bacteria and having their immune systems built up. Um, it's, you know, it's a complete guess and I'm sure I'm wrong, but there's a part of me that when all of this started, my heart just sank and I thought, oh, like, are we, is this all still part of that same, you know, awful experience that we're all still navigating? Like still, still we're navigating. So, I mean, there aren't answers. Um, there's lots of guessing and it may be that it's on the wind and there's not anything anyone can do, right? Like that's entirely possible. So I just thought this would be a good topic. If you are a veterinarian or if you know of a veterinarian who's elbow deep in the research on this subject, we would love to have them on to come and talk to us. We are not expecting them to know everything. Uh, if you are a researcher and you know things about this disease that we have shared an inaccuracy or something like that, please, by all means, reach out and correct us. We'd love to have you on to talk about it. We, we're not trying to scare people. That is not, that is not my place. It's not, it's not the direction that I, I'm coming from, but I do think that this is a big enough deal, at least in my community, that some caution is probably appropriate. Yes, I, I agree. And if you do have, um, solid information that you'd like to share with us, you can get a hold of us at your family dog podcast at iCloud.com. That's your family dog podcast at iCloud.com. And we would love to get any kind of feedback that you have to offer. So I think with that, um the um I, I think when you had mentioned COVID, I was thinking the same thing that this may be something that we have a little bit less resiliency for because of our lack of exposure during COVID. So uh, we're, anyway, it is what it is. I will say that this is a wonderful opportunity to do training at home, to look at enrichment and to really prepare your dog for winter. If this disease does what most respiratory diseases in humans and dogs do, come springtime, um, it'll settle down again and the risk will be lower. So, you know, practicing and preparing for the holidays, getting your enrichment game on uh, with a little bit more rigor so that your dogs, if you know, if, if you've decided, okay, I'm, I'm going to skip XYZ activity, then we need to add an ABC one so that our dogs are still happy and fulfilled and healthy. Uh, and if you'd like help with that, I'm sure we have like a bunch of podcasts and a bunch of resources Yes, I was going to say we've got several enrichment podcasts, and in fact, we have another one coming up, or just recently with with uh, uh, Deb. That uh, yeah, uh, it, it was it was a uh, Ellie has done. My daughter, who does our engineering, has done an absolutely heroic job with that particular episode, which was um, kind of a mess. And so she has put together a final episode that, that she finally handed over to me that I have to get up. So anyway, it might well be up by the time this is aired. I don't know. But anyway, um, yes, we have several enrichment ones. And uh, check those out. I'll put links for those in the show notes. We have and some preparing for the holidays too, right? We do, yes. And I definitely would advise that you take a look at the preparing for holiday ones as well. So we'll have links to all of those in the show notes. 
So um, thanks, everybody, for joining us for Your Family Dog, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Your Family Dog. Got questions? Interesting ideas? Visit www.yourfamilydogpodcast.com to share your thoughts. 